0: Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton.
1: Was it Was really disappointing to see people leaving with you know, six minutes to go? Look, we got to earn the fans' respect. Point blank. These people come out here. They spend their hard-earned money. They sit in the seats. They cheer for us. All right. They give us, you know, energy within the seats. We have to give them something to cheer about. It's not their job to show up and cheer just to cheer. Okay, that's not their job. Their job is to be entertained. They buy a ticket. That means they buy the right to cheer, boo, stay, leave, whatever they want to do. We got to give them something to stay for. We have to give them something to cheer for. That that's on us as a team. We got to do a better job for that. I appreciate the fans, what they did. I look forward to seeing them in a few weeks. And uh, look, our focus is to make sure next time they come, they see a better product and they stay full 60 minutes to watch
0: it there's giants head coach joe judge and the fans being disgusted and filling the exit in their first game back in a couple of years dan i mean you get the sense afterwards that that image kind of stuck with the players definitely stuck with joe judge the head coach because he brought it up multiple times in his post game presser including his opening like he opened by saying you know we appreciate the fans and we feel bad about the product we put out there for him or we got to earn that thing you know he keeps on bringing that thing up but I think that visual, the fans, you know, filling the exits midway through the fourth quarter is, you know, that's the visual of where we're at right now. That's you know, Giants fans are not happy with kind of this vicious cycle the team is under, right? Every single year it's the same old story. You come out, crap the bet in the opener, and it looks like you can't score any points, right? And and that's where we are again.
2: I wrote about it this week and it's it's almost mind numbing in a way because you, you just look at the numbers, they've lost five straight openers, they've lost 10 of the last 11 openers, and that spans two general managers, five head coaches, if you include, include Steve Spagnolo. Multiple different offensive coordinators, multiple different defensive coordinators, different system, and 100% roster turnover. And yet somehow here we are sitting in the seat watching the same exact thing failing for the same exact reasons, and there's just no one that has any answers to it. So, yeah, it's easy to understand why the fans are as angry as they are. They waited two years, essentially, to get back into that stadium, and they're greeted with that trashy product. And not only that, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more on this podcast, the fan experience was not just terrible because of the product on the field go ahead talk about this yes please because of all of the other issues that happened throughout the day on Sunday there were fans being fed hot dogs with maggots there were dead bats up in section 309 the digital ticketing system was just a mess and it took everyone forever to get into the stadium which is why during the first quarter there were so many empty seats no one could get in the cashless system was all jacked up throughout the game it's no wonder they left early and I'll even be surprised to fill the stadium the next time they're at home.
0: Poor Giants fans right I mean not only is the product crap Dan but you're getting fed hot dogs with maggots in them and there's dead bats everywhere so this is just uh, yeah a tough start to the season to say that. and there's no sugarcoating it right for the Giants the football team just a terrible start I mean Saquon Barkley right a big storyline coming in uh, How is he going to look? Well, Daniel Jones was your top rusher against the Broncos, right? Never going to win a game when Daniel Jones is your top rusher. You drafted all these. You drafted this wide receiver, uh, Kadarius Tony. He didn't really pan out here in this first game either. Kenny Galladay, you paid him a boatload of money, but right now, Dan, it's pretty clear. and You've been saying it for weeks. Sterling Shepard's your best receiver anyway, right? So I don't, maybe we didn't need to go out and you know spend all these assets and all this capital on wide receivers when you, you've developed. Sterling Shepard into, I think, your best receiver right now. He looks like it to me, at least. Uh, and then it's just a new season, but the same old story with the play calling and the offensive line issues and Jason Garrett and receivers not creating a lot of separation. And for me, Dan, it's, it comes down again to the lack of scoring. Now, I did a little bit of math here. 14 teams scored 27 points or more in week one, and 11 of them won the game, including the Broncos. The Giants scored 27 points twice last year twice so it's not even get to 30 right I think in the NFL generally the first team to 30 almost always wins right the first team to 30 that theory was seven for seven this past week the first team to 30 for teams that got there won the game the Giants they can't even get in the 20s and that's the problem with this team did until they figure that thing out whether it's the offensive coordinator or whatever if they can't figure that out they're never going to win we're going to be stuck in this cycle forever until they start scoring points
2: I don't understand what the point of signing some of the players that they signed were if they're not going to use them to their ability. That that yep. was one of the yep. biggest things that stood out to me watching Jason Garrett's play calling on Sunday. And listen, I'm I'm whitewashing everything that happened in the preseason. I don't care. You put those players out on the field, then you got to play them to their ability. Not once throughout that entire game did Jason Garrett call a play that was specific to the personnel that he had on the field. The only time that they made a big play came on that initial a false start, I mean, um, encroachment or offsides, whatever the penalty was early in the game on the very first offensive series when Daniel Jones launched it down the field to Darius Slayton. In fact, that was only one of two passes that were called all day that went over 20 yards. And Daniel Jones was two for two for something like 70 some yards on those passes, which is a continuation of last year when he was the NFL's best deep ball passer, but almost never threw the deep ball because of the play calling. So, you know, there was all this Talk over the summer about how the Giants were going to open things up. They've got Kenny Galladay to create these mismatches, and it was going to open up things for Slayton and Shepard, and none of that happened. Shepard had his big game. That was always obvious. The writing was on the wall that that was going to be the case anyway. But outside of that, there was... Nothing that was beneficial for those players whatsoever. And I don't necessarily blame that on them, even some of the lack of separation. Like you saw at the end of the game when they finally started to toss the ball, forced the ball into Kenny Galladay. He, he's a contested catch master, so why didn't he do that for the first yep. three and a half quarters? Throat, it, yep. it, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then... What really kind of made me chuckle after the game was all this praise of the offensive line. The bar has been set so low with the offensive line that Nate Soldier getting absolutely wrecked by Von Miller and then blocking Saquon Barkley later in the game while there's a free rusher to smash Daniel Jones is considered an improvement and enough that the Giants offense should be playing better. That's absolutely ridiculous. There are so many things wrong with this offense. It's almost hard to pinpoint a single thought, if I'm being
0: honest. Yeah, it some tough reps for Nate Solder, especially against Vaughn Miller. There's just no sugarcoating that thing either. Hey,
2: hey, listen, that's that's crow pie for you and I because we thought for sure that he was going to be the best, the yeah. best offensive lineman. when it turned out, it, honestly, it turned out that Andrew Thomas was yep. probably the best offensive lineman on Sunday. He's really the only one that you cannot criticize, right? Yeah, and,
0: and who could have seen that coming, Dan? Like, let's <laughs> be honest. But so no, you didn't like the uh, the jet sweep to Gadarius Tony right after that big 42 yard completion, of the slate and open the game. You didn't. Like oh no, it makes total sense. <laughs> just min- like minus six yards. Right.
2: Yeah, that was just another Jason Garrett example of brilliance. Just like after Logan Ryan comes up with that fumble, and he runs the ball up the middle into a stack box and then two passes for two yards each and then out of their own end zone. Just brilliant
0: play calling. Yeah. It's just like, can, you, can we go for the jugular? Can we just go? You just hit a big play. You got the defense on their heels. Isn't that when you take a shot? Like it's always yeah. 90% of every,
2: every coach in the league, really 99% of them really are going to, call for a big play there listen your defense comes up big at the very least you've got to get it so you're not punting out of your own end zone the only way that you're, you can really kind of screw that up is by running into a stack box and then throwing two passes for two yards
0: second and 23 drop play to Devontae booker so i mean there's a, there's a lot of this so i know jason garrett the fans are calling for his head obviously he's definitely on the hot seat but aren't we kind of stuck with jason garrett dan like the time to move on from him was the off season right like we're back in the season it's week two already. The Giants freaking have a game like basically tomorrow, Thursday night. So they have no time. Like we're already on the week two, week three. Jason Garrett's here. Wh- who's gonna come in and like revamp the offense or whatever? Like well, unless we find somebody else to call the plays, well, and we're stuck with Jason here. Garrett. Yeah.
2: No, that, that's the key right there. Listen, you're not going to get rid of Garrett as the coordinator. He's not going to get fired in the middle of the season, early in the season. And listen, for all we know, maybe he is a good offensive coordinator, but what he's not, it's a good play caller. And they have Freddie Kitchens in the senior offensive role, and I'm not saying that he's a magical answer to play calling. There he is, Freddie Kitchens. Tell I like you, this. All right. Here right go. I, I, I will there. tell you that he's not worse than Jason Garrett, and at this point, just give him a shot. I even said it on social media yesterday. Even if it flies in the face of the entire philosophy, of the offense, what is it going to harm or damage? Just to open things up, chuck and duck, see what happens. What's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to lose. They're doing that anyway. What difference does it make?
0: Freddie Kitchens, he did it. He's he's done that thing with Cleveland, right? I mean, obviously Jason Garrett's the offensive coordinator, and Freddie Kitchens is the play caller. I think we we should try something, anything, if it continues like this, because uh, like we said, that is that was rough in Week One, and we're going to continue talking about it, but. Coming up next, Corey Bonini from the huddle is going to tell you who to start for your fantasy football team here in week two. Did you listen to Dan and start Sterling Shepard last week? I hope you did, right? Dan was telling us all, you know, for weeks, start Sterling Shepard. But here's some more advice from Corey Bonini, and then Dan and I will be right back.
3: This is the sports Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Welcome to week number two of the fantasy
4: football season. Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays to get your season rolling right along. Quarterback Joe Burrow at the Chicago Bears. Some people might be immediately turned off by the name the Chicago Bears with the association of a one strong, proud defense. Forget about that. Last week, Los Angeles Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford obliterated this defense and showed the blueprint of how to take advantage of the young cornerbacks who are actually a liability, especially against play-action passing. Take note, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor is a Sean McVay disciple, so you can be sure that he was watching how this one unfolded. Green Bay Packers running back A.J. Dillon versus the Detroit Lions. The Packers returned to Lambeau Field after getting smacked in the mouth by the New Orleans Saints in Jacksonville. While he saw only five touches in the blowout loss, Dillon generated 26 yards of offense. Detroit has been one of the worst defenses of running backs in some time. We saw that play out last week with San Francisco backups taking full advantage of the situation. Look for an angry Packers offense to get up big, which could mean a lot of Dylan running out the clock late in the game. Denver Broncos wide receiver Tim Patrick at the Jacksonville Jaguars should be an interesting matchup for gamers to take a chance on. Wide receiver Jerry Judy has a high ankle sprain, and he has been placed on short-term IR. Patrick caught all four of his targets last week for 39 yards and a touchdown. While I'm a little skeptical that he may have some competition for touches, given the area of the field, he tends to operate within, owners looking for a PPR flex, especially anyone who lost Judy, should give Patrick a look. Los Angeles Chargers titan Jared Cook versus the Dallas Cowboys. While Cook has no gronk, he still has a pretty good matchup ahead. Dallas made some changes at linebacker in the offseason, and sure, they've gotten faster, but it looks like they're still not completely on the same page. Additionally, Los Angeles has the weapons to spread out this defense, which could leave Cook with a lot of room to operate in the middle of the field. He also benefits if running back Austin Eckler once again isn't involved in the passing game. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please go
3: check out thehuddle.com. 4700 in Colorado.
1: That's completely on me in ownership. I know you can't challenge a scoring play. That was a little bit more of an emotional. I was looking for feedback from the officials. It looked to me on the Jumbotron and some feedback I got from up top watching the replay that he may have stepped in the white. I was screaming for the officials. You know, they're supposed to get some feedback from, you know, what they're hearing in New York in terms of feedback on it. I had to do something to draw their attention. I couldn't get them to turn around, so I threw the flag. I knew it couldn't have been a challenge play. I fully take awareness of that and ownership of that. I told the team that was something that, you know, obviously I can't do again and waste a timeout. But that was something in the moment, guys, to be honest with you. I had to get somebody's attention to at something point and see if we can make sure that they're looking at the same things we were looking at. I can't tell you whether it was good or not. Obviously, they ruled it was good. I'll go and trust what their opinion was on that, and they have good views of it as well. Uh, and that was more something right there. I was just trying to get their attention, and I was looking for feedback, which we're supposed to get from the officials on the field. But those, that crew did a good job tonight. Okay, I'm not blaming that crew for anything right there. They did a good job. Those guys, for the most part, were great communicating. That was a point in the game. I wanted to make sure I got some feedback so we knew what we were doing right there going forward. Yeah, I did, Paul. I did. 100%, Paul. I know the rules. Yeah, listen. I, I fully trust me. I put a lot of work in that so again like i told the team you know we had some bad penalties out there and that was a that was a bad mistake by the head coach right there
0: Joe Judge trying to explain why he threw the challenge flag on a, uh, a scoring play, which is an automatic timeout because you know that play gets reviewed anyway. So I guess it's it's viewed as a delay of game, right? Like don't, let's not delay the game by throwing the uh, the challenge flag, jackass. We're reviewing it already. You don't have to throw the flag. Uh, so I don't know these saying exactly, but you know the the faster you talk or the more words you spit out, the the bigger the lie, right? Isn't that the kind of the saying? Because oh my God, Joe Judge, can you just admit that you you screwed up and you didn't. Know that you would lose a timeout because there's just no. He screwed up in the moment. That's what happened. Like, why is he trying to like sell this thing that he needs feedback? Feedback for what?
2: It's the worst moment in Judge's Giants career so far. Agreed. The The decision to throw the flag was just horrendous to begin with. The postgame explanation was just compounded matters and made it that much worse. If you didn't know it, fine. If you did know it and you're telling us you couldn't control your emotions, that's not any better. That's not any better. And whoever it is that was buzzing down to Joe Judge, because you hear him say it in, in the post game explanation, like we were just wanting to see if the referees saw what we saw. Well, what did you see? Because what you saw is clearly not what literally every other human being watching that game saw. So that that's just a disaster across the board from top to bottom. And and he didn't make it any better with his explanation. Joe Judge is an intelligent, detail-oriented man, but sometimes things slip through the cracks. That's just the reality. No no human being is perfect. So to instead of just absorbing that blame and saying, "I screwed up, you know, maybe I didn't get it right, maybe I didn't know it." If you want to believe the explanation that he just couldn't control his emotions, that that's that's a much larger
0: problem. Worst game for Joe Judge? Dan, you think overall, I mean, there was some other stuff that would, Jabril Peppers playing less than 50% of the snaps. He's a he's a captain for you. Shane Lemieux also. Some of the snap counts in this game, a little weird, right? And uh, just why don't you talk about this quote uh, Judge had recently about uh, playing time for guys through September. This is one thing. This is one topic that we definitely wanted to get into.
2: Yeah, it was um, a little strange considering – <laughs> Considering Judge was really not keen on putting his players into the preseason games whatsoever, uh, trying to manage them, keep them healthy, whatever the excuses were they were given, he basically said that September is for roster evaluation and the first quarter of the season is about moving guys in and out and seeing what they could do. That's literally why the NFL has the preseason. That's literally why the NFL has training camp. The games count now. This team has started 0-2 the vast majority of the times over the past 10 years. And that has resulted in a grand total of one playoff appearance, in which case they didn't start over two that season. So that speaks volumes as to where this team is and potentially where it's going. I don't understand the snap counts. Why was their best run defending safety, not on the field for the vast majority of the time. There's a reason why the Broncos racked up 160 plus an average, nearly six yards per carry. And, Largely, that's because Peppers wasn't on the field for the majority of the snaps. And then he says something, Joe Judge says something along the lines of, after the game, it was like, hey, maybe we want to have this guy on the field more. Like, <laughs> really? No kidding. How, what a what a thought. And you want to talk about snap counts. Yeah, okay, I can maybe understand Shane Lemieux not taking a ton of snaps because he's got the, the partially torn patellar tendon, but... Again, you look at players like Eli Penny, and there was all this talk about how they were going to get this work in, and this multifaceted talent that the offense could use. Do you know how many snaps Eli Penny
0: got on Sunday? You tell me. He got three. Oh, well, I know that's that's got to stick in your craw.
2: None of it makes any sense. Right. None of it makes right. any sense. We're evaluating players in the first week of the regular season.
0: Well, I can tell you why it does make some sense. And Giants fans are going to roll their eyes when they hear this, but this is a Patriots thing. This is a Belichick thing. Dan, he got this for Belichick, and there's one little di- Belichick would do this. He would treat September like an extension of the preseason. And why would he do that? Because he had Tom Brady. Right, yeah, Tom Brady. Yeah. And Tom Brady could fill all the. Ca- you would still win, or you know, maybe you know the Patriots. Those those Patriots teams would usually lose one in September, one or two, they would, and then they turn it on after Thanksgiving. And that is just an old Patriots thing, you know, dink around during the preseason, dink around during September, and then turn it on late, play your best football late. That is a Patriots thing. But the the missing ingredient is the quarterback, Tom Brady, who just. You know, he could go to Tampa Bay and turn them into a Super Bowl contender with the snap of a finger. Right. He's just special. And that's an old Patriots thing. It's not something you want to do when you're a new head coach with a team that's trying to figure out how to win. I don't think you should be dinking around in September, Dan. My God.
2: You want to know what the other big difference is? Not just, you know, Tom Brady and Daniel Jones. You've got Jason Garrett calling your offensive play. So, you know, you're, you're facing these teams that you should be beating. Like, when you break down the Giants' entire schedule, the Broncos are not a, great, they're not a great football team. They have a great defense, but they're not a great football team. It's a winnable game that they lost miserably. And they're 0-1 facing a short week, going into a tough game against a division rival who won the NFC East last week who also has a great defense that can rush the passer. The Giants are in danger of going 0-2 in the first five days, and they're worried about evaluating talent. Yeah. But say whatever you want. Maybe it worked for Belichick. Joe Judge hasn't won anything as a head coach, he doesn't have the time to lose. He doesn't have the games to lose. This team is not capable of putting up a bunch of points on the scoreboard. That alone sets them back. So if you go into an 0-2, 0 you know 3 0, maybe even 0-4 hole, that's it. Your season is over. It doesn't matter what happens on the back end of that it's it's done. you it's finished and what did you get out of that? oh you figured out that jabro peppers can play a couple extra
0: snaps <laughs> I could have told you that going into game 1. right uh, the re, the main reason that and it wasn't even to compare brady to jones it was just like the the main reason that worked for the patriots is because brady right. could score 30 points. Right. When you could score points, you can win and the Giants can't score. So let's stop messing around here in September and, and try to figure this thing out. Right? Right.
2: To, be, to be fair, we don't necessarily even know that the Giants couldn't score. It's, <laughs> it's, it's almost like they don't try to score.
0: Yeah, yeah. So coming up next here, we're going to get our, our sports betting play of the week from the Sportsbook Wire from the USA Today Network. And then Dan and I are going to look at the line. it has moved. Uh, but the Giants are, are decent underdogs here going to Washington and I think Dan has a take on what he thinks going to, is going to go down. So I'm here for that. We'll do that coming up next.
3: This is the Typical sports Sportsbook Minute. Let's make this interesting. Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and BetSlipping flipping Podcast here with my colleague, as always, Jeff Clark, breaking down the Sunday night football matchup for week two between the Kansas City Chiefs and the host Baltimore Ravens. Ravens, plus 160, home underdogs, Chiefs minus 200. Baltimore plus three and a half on the spread. Jeff, is that interesting to you coming off their overtime loss against the Raiders?
1: Yeah, this is a by-low spot for the Ravens. It's getting through the key number of 3 got three in the hook. Lamar was terrible last week throwing the ball, but Cleveland was able to run the ball all over Casey's defense. I think Lamar and Baltimore does the same. I think he passes a little bit better against his weak Kansas City defense, and I think Baltimore's defense improves after their stinker against the Raiders and Derek Carr. I'll take the three-and-a-half with the Ravens. How about you?
3: Patrick Mahomes is 3-0 against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. 34-21 win in Baltimore last week. That's good enough for me. I'm siding with the Chiefs, minus 3.5. That was your typical sportsbook minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. one 800 in Colorado.
0: All right. Welcome back to the show. Uh, real quick, if you happen to find this podcast online or maybe in one of the Giants Wire articles, uh, just a heads up, you can find this show wherever you get your podcast right on apple right on your podcast app hit the subscribe button if you could tell a friend we appreciate that leave us a review let us know what kind of content you're looking for certainly interact with us on twitter at the giants wire you've been listening this long you kind of know we're gonna tell like it is with this team we're not gonna sugarcoat things and obviously there's a lot of giants content out there a lot of giants podcasts and we appreciate each and every one of our listeners dan this is like we know we've been talking about where the giants are at it's not a good spot and here it is this is where we we're 0-1, and you're three-and-a-half point dogs at the Washington football team, right? Which has already announced that Tyler Heineke or, or Heineke, or I think somebody called him Heineken, right? <laughs> we don't know exactly how to uh, how, how the pronunciation is, but the pro- Washington football team is starting their backup, and you are three-and-a-half point underdogs going into this game on a short week. But that's where we're at, right? Really tough defense. Another really low total, 40 and a half. So it just shows yeah. you where, what people right. think about your team. Uh, Got to change that. But what, what's, your, uh, what's your leadoff thought on Giants going into Washington? I think this thing opened at four and a half. It's now down to three and a half on the Tipico Sportsbook app. What's your leadoff thought on that spread?
2: Well, I think the first thought, uh, and, and I imagine it's shared by most Giants fans, especially some of the older fans, is that we've seen this song and dance over the years way too many times. The Giants just traditionally do not perform well against backup quarterbacks. And I'll tell you what, like I, I've got a lot of friends who are both fans in Washington and work for Washington, and um, there's a lot of hype around Heineken, which is, I believe, how you pronounce it, even though Leonard Williams is the one who actually called him Heineken yesterday. Maybe we'll just go with that. I like Heineken.
0: I like Heineken. There, you know? there's,
2: there's a lot of hype around Heineken. And, um, You know, they're just something that sometimes quarterbacks or players carry that special it, and they genuinely believe that this guy has it. Many of them were upset that he was, you know, essentially replaced um, by Fitzmagic in the first place. Um, So there's a a pretty big level of excitement brewing down in Washington, and they think that, um, you know, this this kid could be something special. and, And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if the Giants were the ones that put his name on the map.
0: So do you think uh, do you think the Washington football team can cover this three and a half points though, or would you side with would you take the points with the Giants, Dan? What do you think on the spread?
2: I think the real question is: is do you believe that the Giants can score more than ten points? That's a good. That's a, yeah. And right and, now they haven't
0: given us reason to believe
2: right. that. Right, and be I. Honest. I don't believe that they can. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe in a similar way that they scored 13 last week, they can get that last second pointless touchdown. But I don't think even then it's going to be enough to cover that spread. Even at four and a half, uh, I'd, I'd be betting Washington at this point. And, and I think you have to do that going down the line. And and the reason for it is just and because of what we've discussed all, all morning is that the Giants just simply cannot score. They just cannot score, and I don't think that they're magically going to turn things around with one day of practice over a three-day span before they, you know, are set to take the field again against what I would argue is actually a better defense overall than Denver, who is a very good defense as well. Um, so, no, I, I don't think that the Giants can cover. I think that or, um, I, I definitely think that Washington's gonna. Gonna score enough, I would say. Even though I don't necessarily think they're a high-powered offense either, but they're gonna they're gonna score enough that that makes
0: them a safe bet. Yeah, and the total opened at forty-two and a half. It's already down to forty and a half. Like I said, under. Yeah, under. I'm going under too. And it's just that's such a low number. It's so sad, but it's yes, you, you kind of have to lean under. It's such a low number that it's hard to to bet that with a lot of confidence. But I'm going under as well. Uh, I think I'm taking the points here, Dan. I think I'm taking the Giants at three and a half. Just because I, there's got to be some value here, right? We got to squeeze a little bit of value. This, this is a backup quarterback. The Giants won six games last year. Two of them were against Washington, right? So, and the line opened up at four and a half, and it's moved down to three and a half. So there's, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of steam there with the Giants. I think it, there had to be some money coming down, unless that was just the backup quarterback announcement that I, I, made that that
2: would be, Yeah, that would absolutely be my guess. I yeah. don't necessarily listen. I'm not a, a Vegas odds making expert or anything. I don't ever pretend to be. Um, I I don't know what that line would have been, you know, had had, um, Fitzpatrick been in this game and not injured. I would imagine maybe it would have been a little bit worse than that, but probably not by too much. But, yeah, I would say any line movement is a direct relation of Washington's quarterback and not necessarily a vote of confidence
0: (laughs) in the Giants offense. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe Fitzpatrick was worth a couple points and uh, the line moved down. I just think I don't it, know, like- I don't,
2: but see, objectively, I don't know. You know, just looking at the game um, as a writer, or even necessarily as a better, that you know that the Giants are in any better situation facing what could potentially be a more explosive quarterback. So, in, in terms of of that line, I, again, I think it speaks more to the, the lack of creativity and the lack of ability to score the Giants' offense. But I actually think that Washington may score more points as a result of the change of quarterback than they would have had Fitzpatrick played.
0: All right, I like that take. You know, what is this, his second? This will be his second start, right? Heideka, he he started against uh, Tampa Bay in that playoff game, played pretty well. They didn't have... He played, uh, really, he played they, really well. They didn't have Devin White in that game, though, and I think the Bucks defense was... Uh, you know, they're well, not the same defense without Devin White, right. and, uh, but still. I'll, t- I'll, he tell played you, well. I'll
2: tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. I don't this wasn't brought up, you know, there's only so much time we have on these podcasts. We could fill this whole day up, yeah, really.
0: But yeah, I definitely. I
2: don't have the numbers directly in front of me, but I believe that James Bradbury surrendered six receptions on seven targets on Sunday. And now he's gonna draw the matchup against arguably one of the league's best wide receivers, Ender Lauren. Yeah. And again, if he plays like that. Washington could put up a
0: lot of points. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I like that take because I thought the defense was a bummer uh, th- in this game. I, I just thought Teddy Bridgewater, he he looked way too comfortable. He had a lot of time, Dan, a lot of clean pockets, uh, especially on play action. It seemed like he had all day to throw. So I mean, where are you at, Aziz Ojolari, Leonard Williams? Like we got to we got to get some pressure on 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 the quarterback. Uh, and Heineke has some escapability. He's going to run. So. I, I'm with you. I just want to. I just want to believe that the Giants can can cover a spread and can can at least lose by three. Uh, well, me, so let me, let me, that's let, I'm right. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with them, Dad, blind faith that they're gonna figure out well, how to give us a season. I think I'm just rooting for the program because at 0 and two, you know, a week and a <laughs> half in, it's right. like doomsday. This would this would be my
2: advice to betters though. Don't don't bet on the Giants until they prove that they're worthy of that.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. Don't don't <laughs> bet with any uh don't bet any real capital on the Giants right now. Uh but if you want to put a small wager, maybe maybe take a chance. Maybe take a chance. I think there's gotta be like, three and a half points. Can you can you beat the Washington football team with their backup quarterback? Like come on. Like what are we talking about here? If we can't do that, then what are we what are we doing? What are we doing this season? It's gonna be a long, long year. The bar is low, my friend. The bar is very, very <laughs> low. Uh, so, any anything else? Uh, you know, you want to get off your chest, Dan, before we uh, we sign off here.
2: Oh my God! I do. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like you know, the best the the best way I can explain it is: imagine you're in a library and all the books are on the floor, and you got to start putting them back up, and you just don't know what one to grab. First, that's that's sort of how I feel covering the New York Giants right now. I, I would love to see things turn around. I really would. This, the fans they deserve it. They desperately, desperately need to see a win and a winning team. I just don't necessarily know, unfortunately, that these Giants are it. I think what we're witnessing here is. You know, the final crumble of, of a dying organization and what what happens from here on out, I don't know. But Giants fans might want to start preparing themselves for yet another blow up and rebuild because I don't I genuinely don't believe they're going to be able to turn this around
0: this year. Short week, Washington football team, either they come out and they show us something or they're they lose their and two. And that's where we're at. It is. Yeah. Well, everybody's well, on the hot well, seat and right. it's over. Rightfully so.
2: Rightfully so. If they they come out and lose against Washington to a backup quarterback against a team that in recent past when they've had no success against anyone they've actually played well against, I think that's really going to be the dagger in the heart of this organization, the Giants fans. I think probably more than any other Week 2 game in in recent memory, this is a big one for the Giants. This is a crucial game. If you want to turn the noise down, slow down the erosion, you have to come out and not just win this game. You've got to kind of win it, handle it. You can't just have some last-second 55-yard luck field goal that flies through just inside the upright and be like, hey, guys, see, look, we're, we're good again. They have to come out and show consistency across the board. Jones has to play well, no turnovers. Their new weapons have to produce. Garrett has to open things up. They've got to generate pressure on defense. The secondary has to play substantially better than it did last week. There are so many things wrong right now that they really need to flip the switch immediately because they're going to lose this organization and they're going to start losing players if they keep playing this way.
0: A good little venting session here on the pod this week. So uh, for for Dan Benton, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Enjoy the game short week. Hopefully the Giants show us something. We'll find out. We'll talk to you all next week.